You are about to take part in a session from a Discipleship Bible School held at YWAM Richmond in the spring of 2022, and we are so grateful you are here. So much prayer went into every element of this course, from recruitment to content editing, and we are convinced you will leave this knowing God a little deeper. The Discipleship Bible School, or DBS, is an opportunity to survey the entirety of Scripture to discover God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. Over the course of 12 weeks, teachers explored the Bible section by section, not only to deepen students' understanding of what was written then, but reveal what we are being invited into now. If you like what you are hearing, visit ywamva.org to discover what courses we are offering, ways you can journey with our team, and other content created to help you know God and make Him known. Everything you hear was created as a step of faith by a team of YWAMers and volunteers who felt God inviting them to capture the DBS in its entirety, over 120 hours of content. If this content blesses you, consider supporting future schools and content by giving at ywamrichmond.org donate. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait for you to experience God today. I've already talked to you a little bit about the last week, what you learned and everything. So um, I'll just do a small recap since some of you have already shared what you've learned from Dan Lewis. But hopefully some of the takeaways that you had from last week was understanding the history of Israel and its kings leading up to the exile that took place in 586 BC. So you should be learning that these dates are really important, 722, 586, all these are ones that you will probably want to remember throughout um, the rest of your Bible days. Um, So also, hopefully you discuss the impact of the rise and fall of, you know, major empires and how this impacted Israel and Judah at the time. And then I I really hope that you were challenged with... um, the legacy, you know, if you're looking at the kings and their lives and the legacy they left behind, whether they were a good king or a bad king, if they were a good king, what they did, if they were a bad king, then what did they do? And what was that legacy that they left? And so being able to look at your own life and say, okay, like the destiny that you want today, the the choices that you make today, reap that. And so it isn't that, oh, once I finish this Bible school, well, then I'll figure out what I want to do, and then I'll start living that way. No, what you do today is actually already reaping that destiny. So making choices that are in line with that destiny that you want. And so with, uh, with last week, yeah, really hoping that you were um, even partially contemplating that legacy, because reading through the kings and their lives and just seeing how they either were for the Lord or against the Lord and what that, how that impacted the nation. Okay, and so then the goal for this week, because we are in week six, is to be able to identify prophetic genre. So if you didn't realize, we are moving into the prophets. <laughs> this is a different kind of material than you've been reading. And so um, there is a, a specific... Well, it's a, it is a specific genre, uh, the prophetic. And so there are ways that you read it that is a little bit different than how you've read the Bible up until now. And so there's specific language that they use 
and uh, just forms of figurative language. And so I want to talk about that today with you all. And then also recognizing prophecy within, the, within these books. And so how these major events, the fall that took place, the exile that took place, and how all of this, everything that you've been reading is leading up to these uh, events taking place. And then some of the themes that, of course, are going to be throughout these books are, number one, trusting God, and then social just injustice, and then idolatry. These are going to be things that we'll be talking about all week long, unfortunately, um, because they aren't doing a good job. Well, they're doing a good job at some of them. The injustice and the idolatry, they're doing a really good job at. But trusting the Lord, they're not doing great at. So, so today, the focus will be on really breaking down the prophets, on how to read them, what they're about, um, and then tomorrow we'll actually get into the books. So tomorrow will be Amos and Hosea, then Joel and Micah, then Isaiah and Jonah. Okay, so that'll be the breakdown for the week. Okay, so if we are going to just go ahead and jump in. Any questions so far before I begin? Really keep going? <laughs> okay, so I want you to get to know the prophets because this is a huge chunk of the Bible, of these books that are in the Old Testament. And so when we are getting to know them, we need to know that 16 prophets are actually named. Although there are 17 books. Do you know why? <laughs> why there's only 16 authors and there's 17 books? Speak up. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just need to be paying attention. <laughs> So, yes, Lamentations was authored by Jeremiah. And so we know that Jeremiah was what we label a major prophet. And so he authored two books. So the other major prophets are Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the rest are considered minor prophets. And then we have 12 of those. And I'm not going to name them all, but they're right there on the screen. Or you can look in your Bibles and pick out the four. And then you know the rest of them are minor prophets. Okay. So why is there the difference between major and minor? Yep. Yeah, okay, good job. That's true. Um, it is the size of the books. It's not to deal with anything of their message because their messages were all important. They're in the Word of God, and so we know that they have a purpose, that they have a meaning. And so the minor prophets are called so only because of the length of their book. And in Latin, minor means shorter, but not less important. And so major in Latin actually means longer. And so that's where these terms come from. And so they really convey nothing about the importance of the books. It's just that these are the labels that have been given to them over the years. Okay. So uh, if we continue to get to know the prophets, the books of the prophets belong to a time when the nation is really in decline. And I'm, I'm hoping, I know that probably Dan Lewis covered a lot of that last, in the last two weeks. Um, and it's also going to cover their return to their homeland. So this is all of the prophets. 
And so these prophets, the, the time span is about 250 to 300 years total that all of these books were written. And so it goes from around 760 B.C. to about 460 B.C. is the time period. And so really most of these books are addressed to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. But there are a few who are um, prophets who will go to Israel and prophesy and speak. Okay. And so here we have just a, a fun little um, picture that you have all of the books up at the top. So um, like these are how, this is how they are like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? In your Bible. That's the order in the Bible. That's what I'm looking for. Well, they're not, they're not actually chronological in the Bible. So this is just the order that they're in in the Bible. And so then this down at the bottom is where they're actually on the timeline. So even though Isaiah is first, really he's not the first one that's written. So um, we have Amos, we think is probably the first uh, prophetic book that was written. And then Hosea, and then we, oh, Isaiah is over here. And so the only guy that is not, who doesn't have a little person drawn down here, like with, with all these guys, is the book of Joel. And so that is because, uh, you'll find out this week because we're going to cover this, is we don't really know when it was written. So he doesn't have a little guy that's down here because we can speculate the date, but we're not really for sure. Okay? And that picture is from Google, so you can definitely look at it again if you like it a lot and um, refer to it. Okay, so if we keep on going, I want to talk about oracles, okay? Do we, uh, if you, we uh, know that oracles is a huge part of these books that we're going to be reading, or you already have been reading. But I want to talk about what they actually are. So what are oracles of God? Because a lot of times, um, I think even in this, in this period, um, the term oracle can carry a, a negative uh, connotation or a negative meaning. Um, because oracles, I think a lot of times, were related to the occult or um, like divination, all this kind of stuff. And so the phrase could come to mean something different or it's developed a different meaning over time. And so we know, however, that the Bible does not approve of using mediums, of going into, you know, like all the different witchcraft kind of things. So not looking at the demonic power for their understanding and their knowledge. So a lot of times when we're looking at oracles and um, if people don't understand the Bible, then they can think, oh, well, why are they... Why are they, like, teaching that, you know, these oracles are okay? Because their, their understanding of oracles is that it's going with the demonic instead of what God is saying, okay? But we know that um, these oracles, they sometimes could be that they foretell the future or they are conjuring up the spirits of the dead to know what is going on. And we saw this in... Um, when Saul was king, remember when he goes to uh, the witch of Endor and is asking questions and Samuel's like, 
why are you calling for me? <laughs> and so, um, so when the Bible uses this term oracles of God, it should not be associated with the definition of oracles that refers to the practice of divination. So just want to clear that out of the air that this is nothing of like we're going to be conjuring up spirits or anything. Thank goodness, no Ouija boards. Um, <laughs> no tarot cards, nothing like that. We're, we're not doing any of that kind of stuff. So um, oracles appear also um, in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And really, the word seems to mean both in Hebrew, because we know that's the language of the Old Testament, and then Greek is the language of the New Testament, that it really just means word of God. And so when we are looking at these oracles, that's really what we're coming down to. It is the word of God. And the prophets often, I think I spelled that wrong. Yep. Often um, represented the middle man between God and man. So they are the, the, they're the middle man. That's a good word for it. What I wrote. <laughs> so... Um, God would speak to and through the prophets. And so the people would hear this message of the Lord. And so all the, a lot of times they'll, they'll say, listen, like, listen up to what I'm about to say, because these are the words from God. And so the message of the Lord would often tell the people what was to come. So it was preparing them for what they were about to go into. And so God used the prophets of old to convey his message, his words and his oracle to the people of Israel. This was always God's message to the people. It wasn't that the prophet was just like, oh, I think it's a good time to go tell the people that they're sinning and that they're doing wrong. Like, that's not what it was about. This was all about God speaking through them. And so when we are, you know, really going through these, these books, um, you will, I'm going to break down uh, three views of, or not three views, but three forms of oracles and then, um, so when you're reading, you'll be able to hopefully better break down the books. Because I know especially these major prophets can be a little bit daunting to read because they're such huge books. And so when you can break down even, you know, finding the major break in the books, but then also seeing the oracles that are there, it helps you to understand the books a lot better. Okay? So um, the first oracle that I want to like break down for you is called a lawsuit oracle. And so this is a, so God uses different ways to communicate to the people. It's not that he's always using the same form of speech or even ways to communicate. He, he does a lot of different ways because he is constantly working with where the people are. Um, he's not just saying, well, I'm God. And so this is how you have to hear me. But he's saying, okay, I'm going to work with the people because I know them. I created them. And so I'm going to use what they are familiar with to help them to understand. And so this lawsuit oracle, really what is happening is God is portrayed as in, in a courtroom setting. He is the plaintiff. He is the attorney. He is the judge. He is the bailiff. He is all of those in this court case that is going on. And the defendant, so the person who is on trial, is usually Israel. <laughs> so they're the ones who are in the wrong. And so God is the one who is portraying the judge, the attorney, all of the parts, the rest of the parts of the court. 
And so when you are looking at one of these oracles, especially the lawsuit oracle, what you're going to see is that there is this summons that takes place. And so he's going to start out with, thus says the Lord, or listen for this message of the Lord. Like there's always going to be that calling forth for them to listen. There's the summons that takes place. And then they're going to give the charge and then the evidence. So this is where the guilt lies with, um, with this court case. God's not just going to say, you're all sinners and I'm done with you. He's going to say, okay, this is my case against you. When you come to a court case, you always have to have evidence of what's been done wrong. And that's what God is doing in this. He is saying, okay, here's your charges. And I'm being specific with you because of what you've done wrong. I want you to know where you've been, where you've been wronging me and how to make it right. And so we have the charge and then the evidence. So the evidence is always, hey, you did this, 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 and this. And so this is why you're being charged with this, um, with this case. And so then lastly, in this oracle, you have what they call a verdict. And this is the judgment of the Lord. So this is what their fate, pretty much, of what's going to take place. And so you have S is for summons, C is for charge, E is for evidence, and V is for verdict. And so I have those letters color-coded, if you can see that. Not so well up there. I might need to change the color. Um, but this is a good, in YWAM we love our acronyms, right? And so, <laughs> so remember SCIVA, because this is that you have the summons, the charge, the evidence, and the verdict. And so this is a, an easy way to remember a lawsuit oracle, is those four aspects, okay? And really with this lawsuit oracle, what it is, is it's a, it's a figurative style, but it's a very dramatic way of speaking. And it would hopefully, God is hoping that it would be effective in getting their attention and in communicating with Israel why um, they're in the predicament that they're in. And really why punishment is coming, because he wants them to understand what they've been doing, how they've been wronging him, and the disobedience that they've been walking in that now they will pay for. And really knowing that the punishment will be severe. It's not that God's like, oh, sorry, you, you did wrong. I'm going to slap your hand and then we're just going to keep on going. But these, these lawsuit oracles are really God's like last push for them to come back to him. And so this special form, literary form, helps to get this special message across to the people because it's not something that you will find all the time in these, in these prophetic books, but it's something that he's using because he wants to get this message across because it's not something that he wants them to take lightly. I mean, when you think about going to court, I don't know if anybody's been in court before, but it is not fun. Like, I can just, like, sitting in a courtroom, you're like, people's fate is at the mercy of these people, of a judge, of the attorneys, how well the attorneys do. Like, I watch Dateline and 2020 and all those, and they're always in courtrooms. And, like, just the how well the attorneys do, how well 
um, the juries picked, like all of this stuff. Like there is so much tension, I think, that comes into um, this kind of setting. And I think that that's a reason why God is using this type of, of literature is because he wants them to understand the importance of their actions and what it is going to bring if they don't change. So this is just like they are going into a courtroom and that they are being judged, but it's not by a human judge, but it is by someone who is far greater than any judge we could ever face here on this earth. And so that's why this form is so important to understand because it is a special message that he is giving to them in this time. And so I want to give you an example of a lawsuit oracle so that you understand how to find it when you are reading through the scriptures, okay? And so the example that I have is from Isaiah 3, and it's 13 through 26. And so if we... Um, Turn there, Isaiah three thirteen. So, um, I mean, this one is very clear because it says the Lord takes his place in court and presents his case against his people. The Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment on the elders and rulers of his people. And so we even know at this point with this oracle, who God is bringing it against. It is against the elders and the rulers of his people. And so um, even if we, well, so the court is convened and the lawsuit is brought. So we know that who, who it's involving. And then we have the indictment or the accusations which are spoken in for the rest of chapter or verse 14 through 16. He says, you have ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. How dare you crush my people, grinding the faces of the poor into the dust, demands the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord says, beautiful Zion is haughty, craning her elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. So this is what she's doing. This is what is coming. Um, this is the evidence that the Lord is mounting against these elders and rulers. And so the evidence is in verses 17 through 26. It says, you know, the Lord will strip away everything that makes her beautiful ornaments, headbands, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, veils, scarves. And, the, you know, he just keeps on and on. Party clothes, gowns, capes, purses, mirrors, fine linen, garments. Instead of smelling of sweet perfume, she will stink. She will wear a rope for a sash, and her elegant hair will fall out. She will wear rough burlap instead of rich robes. Shame will replace her beauty. And so these are the things that the Lord is saying is going to happen to them because of their actions that were stated in the first verses that I read. So in um, 14 and 15, that they've ruined Zion, or Israel. They have crushed their people, grinding their faces into the dust. And not just any people, but the poor. And so because the covenant, so we remember from when I was here last time, and we talked about covenants and how important they are to the Lord. 
and how he is upholding his covenant. So because the covenant has been violated, the sorts of punishments listed in the covenant will come to pass. And so remember how I told you um, when I was here to mark those chapters in your Bibles where the covenant curses and blessings were going to be because they would come back. And these are where they start to come back because you understand, okay, when, you know, why, why is her elegant hair going to fall out? Why is she going to have to wear burlap instead of rich robes? Well, why is she going to have shame instead of that's going to replace her beauty? Well, okay, if we're thinking about this and we're looking at the covenant, we're looking at God's character, his nature, then we're seeing that he is being true to his covenant always. And the, what takes place when the covenant is being broken is disease, destitution, death. All of these things are ways that the Lord is saying, okay, wake up, listen to me, get it together, guys. Like this is your last chance. So these oracles that he's speaking to them are so important to understand because it is God's last cry for them to change their ways. Okay, any questions about the lawsuit oracle? Awesome. Okay, and if you have one, we can come back to it, but I'm going to keep going for now. Next, we're going to talk about a woe oracle. Okay, so this is the second of the three that we're going to cover. So a woe oracle. So this word woe, I know it sounds a little funny because we don't really use this word nowadays. Or at least I don't. I don't know about anybody else, but <laughs> don't want to, uh, yeah, go against you if you use this word quite often. Um, but this word was something that the ancient Israelites would cry out when they were facing disaster or when there was death or when they were mourning and going to a funeral. So this would be something that would really hopefully grasp their attention. This is another way, hopefully. Because through the prophets, God is making predictions of their imminent doom. And he is using this word woe because he is wanting them to understand that this is what's happening, that there's going to be disaster, that there is death coming, that they should be mourning for their actions. And so really, because this word is being used or these, this phrasing is being used, no Israelite would be able to miss the significance of these oracles and the use of these words. And so once again, we have the acronyms, which are going to be ROD and POD. I know it's funny, but ROD is the reason of distress. So this is where it's going to start out and it's going to say, whoa, or it could, um, I know in the NLT, it always starts off with what sorrow. So that is your key. When you say, when you see, whoa, at last, ah, like what sorrow, these are your key words to know that a, a woe oracle is coming. Okay. So this is going to be key for you to understand so that you know, um, how to read through these prophetic books, okay? And then the pod is the prediction of doom, okay? So the P-O-D. And then really this is your toast. 
it's happening year over because of the things that you've done wrong. And within that rod and pod, there's always, you know, hey, listen up. This is what you've done, and this is why you're going down. Like, this is it. And so with this, these words that I, I think that, like I said earlier, the Lord is always choosing to use words that they're going to connect with, that they're going to understand situations that they're going to understand. It's not just him saying, I'm God, and you've got to come up here and be on my level. But God is coming down to their level and using the things in their lives, the words that they would understand to communicate these messages because he wants them to understand the importance of it and what a relationship with him is supposed to be. And so if we look at the example for um, this woe oracle, it comes from Habakkuk. And I, uh, let's see here. Going to test my Bible knowledge because I didn't actually mark it. <laughs> so Habakkuk 2, 6, and, uh, 6 through 8. So it says, but soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. Okay, so the key word there to know it's a woe oracle. What is it in your Bible? What is it? Woe? Okay. So um, mine says what sorrow, but I want to make sure that because I'm using the NLT, and I know you all are in the ESV. Um, <laughs> one of these days, maybe, you'll switch. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> no, I just want to make sure that, because I want you all to be able to pick it out in your Bible, because I know I'm reading it from a different translation. So, um, but the oracle announces woe in verse 6. And so this is your key. That's your like trigger word to know that this is an oracle coming about. And so the reasons are also given in verse 6. Because here Babylon is being personified as a thief and as an extortionist. It says you've become rich by extortion. How much longer can this go on? says, what awaits, what sorrow awaits you thieves? So he is being very clear on how they are seen and their actions that they've taken. And so I read in verses seven and eight, how disaster is predicted when all those that Babylon has oppressed will one day rise up against Babylon and Babylon will see its fate. Okay. So that is your example of a woe oracle. So you have, what is, what is the acronym for Woe Oracle? Yeah, Rod and Pod. And what's, what do they mean? Don't answer. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, you students can answer. <laughs> um, reason of distress, intervention of the 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your enthusiasm, Beth. <laughs> okay. And then um, the last one that the last oracle that I want to go through with you is uh, it's called a salvation or a promise oracle. Okay, and so this is always going to be a reference to future salvation. So your key words for this will be on that day or at that time. So this is something that the Lord is wanting to, um, this is where he's going to get their attention by shifting the, uh, the way he's communicating. It's going to be a shift in a lot of times, even in the book, because it will be this like doom, 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 like you're done then to um, there's this great blessing that's coming. And so um, you'll see that there's this radical change announced. And so there will be a mention of blessings. So there will be life that's talked about again, health that's talked about, prosperity, agricultural abundance, and all of these things that haven't been talked about because there's no reason to because they're being bad. Um, he will once again bring this into their sight because God is never just a God of you're done. But he always has plans to restore, to redeem, because that is his character and his nature. That is who he is at the core of his being. And so when we are looking at these uh, oracles, so I have the, the words that are highlighted are salvation. There's a change announced. And then there's a mention, which, sorry, that doesn't really, but mention of blessing. And so what, how you can remember that is scam. And I have on here, if it's too good to be true, but in God's case, we can say it's not a scam. He is going to provide these things. He is going to bring this fulfillment of these promises and of the salvation oracle. And so um, we have an example of this is in Amos 9. So if you all want to turn there with me. Amos is right after, let me look and tell you, Joel. And Joel is right after Hosea. So if you get around there, then you'll, uh, and Obadiah is next, and then Jonah. Um, okay, so in chapter 9, 11, verses 11 through 15. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands and they will rebuild their ruined cities. And so I'm not going to read all to verse 15, but that is a salvation oracle or a promise oracle. 
because what is mentioned the, the, is the future. In that day, at that time, these things will take place. And then they have this radical change that is described about the restoration and this repair of David's fallen tent. And then also how Israel is going to be exalted over Edom and that there's going to be a return of the exile. So even before they've gone into exile, the Lord is already saying there's going to be a return. So we know that this is a salvation or a promise oracle. And so we see that the blessings from the covenant that, you know, our life, our health, prosperity, all of those things, that this is what is being mentioned. You know, it says when grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested, that the wine will, like sweet wine will drip from the vineyards. And I will bring back my exiled people. They will plant vineyards and gardens. and They will eat their crops and drink their wine. And so this is how the Lord is being true to who he is. Even though the Israelites are going to act the way that they act, there will be some who will respond to the Lord. And this is who he is speaking to with, these, with this set of oracles, with the promise or this restoration oracle or salvation oracle, however you want to, you know, promise restoration, salvation, oracle, it's all meaning the same thing, that the Lord is going to change the atmosphere of the book with this oracle because it is going, especially you all have already read Amos. And so you've seen that, you know, the first eight chapters is all doom, like you're going down. Like, you know, Amos sees multiple visions and has, you know, just incredible things that he sees, but it's all up until chapter 9, it's, it's nothing good for the, for the Israelites and for the nation. And so then he is saying, okay, I'm changing the way I'm going to talk to you because there's more that I have for you that I want you to see. So those are um, three ways that you can learn to, you know, when you are especially reading through the rest of the prophets. I know you've already read through a couple of them. But um, when you go back and you are reading through these books again, you can begin to highlight those key words. And you can say, okay, I know that this is a woe oracle, or I know that this is a salvation oracle. Or I can see that the Lord's taken them to court, and I need to watch, I need to listen, and I need to hear, and, and remember the covenants, and, and know why He's doing this. Because... If you don't understand the covenants, then these oracles are even, I think this is why God gets a bad rap. It's because when people don't know his covenants and what he has promised them, then when these bad things happen, people are like, well, he's just a mean God. He's so mean. He's so terrible. He's just out to kill his people. But if they knew his covenants, if they knew what he was promising them and how he was constantly chasing after them, then we would know that God is so far from a mean God. So, any questions around those three types of oracles? What was the first one? 
Lawsuit Oracle. Yeah. What was the second one? Yeah. <laughs> and then the third one. <laughs> scam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what does scam mean? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> it's okay. You can look. Correct. Yeah. And then what's the acronym for the lawsuit? Yes. Correct. So it's the summons, the charge, the evidence, and the verdict. Yep. Good job, guys. I'm proud of you. Yay. Okay, so now I want to keep going on with um, really just trying to wrap our heads around these books because they are um, a different literature than what you've been reading. You've been reading a lot of um, historical narrative with the first few weeks. And then it went into uh, really uh, wisdom literature. And now uh, you're coming into the prophets. And so we want to talk about three lessons, which are a history lesson, a religious lesson, and a language lesson. So I didn't know you were going back to school, did you? <laughs> so I'm going to go to history class first. And we're going to talk about history. Because within this, and with all of these books, we need to know where and when did these things take place. And I know that Dan probably set you up really well for this. So, um, but knowing the history of the books. Because you cannot understand the prophets without knowing what happened. Without knowing what they were going through. With what they had been um, walking through. And that's why... I love this school because it takes you from the beginning and you're walking with the Israelites constantly through this story of what is taking place and why these books are being written. And so this history lesson is so important because really, if you don't know the historical background, then you cannot appreciate the messages of Isaiah or any other prophet because you have to know what has been happening, because it's all connected. This is not a standalone book. And so to briefly go through what you all have walked through these last five weeks, this is very short, but uh, there was one kingdom, and that was the kingdom of Israel, and they were under the reign, the monarchy of Saul, of David, and then Solomon. Okay, so those were the kings that ruled over the nation as a whole. And then when Solomon passed, Rehoboam, his son, brought the division between the kingdoms. And so that's when Israel and Judah split in 930 B.C. And so we have the north then, which is Israel, and the south, which is Judah. Is that new for anybody? I hope not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> we'll be doing a recap. <laughs> okay, 
And then also one of the things that you need to understand is that the location that they are in is, is an incredible, you know, God could have chosen anywhere for them to, to be located, but he chose this specific place. And that is because it was a prime location for trading, for um, the other nations to flow through. And so they would become wealthy because there were taxes on the imports and exports and the people coming across. And so um, you have all of these nations who are constantly coming in and out. One, to trade, but then also because this was prime land. And so we have the surrounding nations of Egypt, Syria, Persia, Assyria, and Babylon. And so these are going to be throughout, if you're doing your timeline, you're going to be able to see how these superpowers rise and fall and how they are playing their role within these nations. And so really we know that God has chosen this specific people for this specific time in this specific place. And so this is not just a happenstance of God was like, oh, I'm going to choose you today and you're going to go over there. Like, that's not what this is about. This is God saying, I have chosen this people. I have committed to them. I have made a covenant with them and I am keeping it. And so this history of God making them into a nation and keeping them throughout, you know, with the judges, especially when there was, you know, all of the cycles that took place and they would go under other people's rulership. Well, then they would cry out and God would say, okay, come back. Like, let's do this again. I take you back. And so constantly God is holding true to his covenant throughout these books that you've been reading and you've been seeing this. And so another aspect is of this larger context of these books is that the north, which is Israel, um, is where disobedience to the covenant is really rampant. And it has so surpassed anything that I think anybody even knew. Yeah, like Judah, Judah has... They're still okay because they've had a few good kings, but Israel had no good kings ever. And so, therefore, because I'll say leadership is so important, because you look at the nation of Israel, and because they never had a good king to bring them back on track, they went into exile and actually never came back. They are still dispersed. There, there was no remnants that came back from Israel. And the leadership of this nation is so key. Even, even though I think, I don't know how many actually good kings Judah had. I should count it up. Um, eight. I knew it was like, yeah, I thought it was seven, but thank you. Um, because they had a few good kings, they were able to come back to, you know, if you think about it, when we talked about a long time ago, a month ago, when we talked about righteousness and how that is walking in agreement with God. So those kings were able to bring them back into that right relationship, that righteousness with the Lord. And so they were able to come back and walk with him where Israel's kings never had that. So they never were brought back into that alignment, into that righteousness and that right being with the Lord. And so that is why they were taken into exile first, because they never had a king who was like, listen, guys, we've been doing it wrong. We need to change our ways. 
but they kept going after idols. They kept going after their own, um, their own desires, their own lust, their own uh, ideas of what they thought a relationship with the Lord should look like. And so because of that, the north would be taken into exile, into destruction. And it's because their sin was so great. And so Amos, who we just read about with the Salvation Oracle, um, he will begin this journey with the prophets around 760 B.C. And then Hosea will come on the scene a little bit later. And they're both really slating Israel for destruction. They're saying, okay, this is it. Like, you, you've gone too far. And so in 722, you will, well, you already read, that the north will fall to Assyria. And because Assyria is the superpower at that time. And uh, I've talked a little bit. No, I didn't. I will talk about them in this week. <laughs> I get confused sometimes on what I've taught and what I haven't. <laughs> so, um, but we'll talk about Assyria this week and just um, their cruelty. And um, I'm sure you've heard already about them, but I will share more this week. So if we continue looking at the um, larger context of this is that this rise of sinfulness that was taking place, um, really not just in Israel, but also in Judah, unfortunately, even though they had good kings, it's still, they still wanted to go their own way. And so you'll have this other superpower that comes along, which will be Babylon, and they will be, um, Babylon will oppress many people, take many people. Um, and so a lot of the prophets will talk about, you know, Babylon as a superpower. Isaiah will be one of them. And all these other prophets, they really talk about how this destruction is coming. And so unfortunately, Judah will be like their sister Israel and in 587, 586 BC, they too will be destroyed because of their disobedience. And I just feel like putting a sad face because I'm like, man, it's just so sad. Like their, their disobedience is so great that they didn't, they weren't able to see the goodness of God, even though he was constantly after them. And so after the exile, um, you know, Ezekiel will continue to prophesy, and then Daniel will come along Haggai, um, and they will all announce this restoration because that is God's will for his people because he wants them to rebuild the nation. He wants them to still be his people. And so the prophets will speak directly about these events. And so to understand the word, you must understand their history. And um, I don't know if it was, if it was last, I think last time I was here, I talked to you all about the importance of knowing your history. And um, I told you all that uh, 
we had a speaker who would come, or and we had a, a night where we had dinner with them, and somebody asked them, like, what was the greatest, uh, I think I shared this story with you all. Does that sound familiar? Um, anyways, if not, I'll tell it to you anyways. Um, <laughs> that, uh, like, we would have speaker dinners with, uh, with the speakers that would come in for the DBS. And so one night we uh, had a speaker come, and one of the guys asked him, he was like, what was the greatest mistake of Israel? And he was like, Israel didn't know their history. That they kept repeating history over and over again, and that's what went to their downfall. And then later on in the evening, like, we kept talking, we had dinner, and then, like, later on, somebody asked. They were like, well, what do you think the greatest, um, like, the greatest mistake is of, of our generation, of our time? And he said, we don't know our history. That man was Dan Lewis. That has stuck with me. I was in, I think that was probably one of the first schools I staffed. And the school started in 2012. That has stuck with me. Because knowing history is important, guys. Like, if we do not know history, then we are doomed to repeat it. And we can see this, I mean, I can see this right now, where unfortunately, like segregation is coming back into America. People are dividing themselves. And there is this great divide between white, black, every kind of, you know, ethnicity, if we do not learn our history, we are doomed to repeat it. So this context for knowing Israel's history, knowing who God is for them, what he has had in store for them, because this is translating for us now, guys. Who is God for us? What are his promises for us? What are his laws? What are his commands? Where is his covenant with us? Because if we don't know that, then where are we going to go? I mean, right now, laws are being passed for whether a child, I think it's up to seven days, can be killed. Like out of the womb. Seven days a child can be killed. Like this is a law that they're wanting to pass right now. So because we don't know our history, we don't know the Bible, we don't know the Word of God, these are things that are being talked about, that are being discussed. I'm like, if we stood up and we said, you know what? Death is wrong. Killing is wrong. Like, that's in the Word of God. Do not murder one of the Ten Commandments. If our nation was living by the Ten Commandments, then this would not even be an issue. It would not even have to be talked about. But we are wasting time because people do not know the Word of God. We are talking about things that should not even be on the table.
because we have people who are in leadership who don't know the Word of God. So choosing your leaders are so important. Knowing the Word of God is so important, guys. Knowing history of where we have come from. Don't erase history. You learn from history. We cannot change our past, but we can learn from it, and we can grow from it. These are things that we can learn from Israel and Judah. What time are we supposed to take a break? Uh, 3.55. No. no. <laughs> I'm like, no. Okay, thank you. Thanks for finally letting us know. No, 4.30. Okay. Oh, I told you I was going to talk about Assyria later, but I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> um, okay. So to continue with the history lesson, just briefly talking about the Assyrians, because these were, I'm going to use red, because they were really nasty people. Um, and not in the sense of like, un well, I mean, I guess they were unclean, but not in the sense of just like dirt under their nails nasty. But this was like, they were horrible in their actions towards one another. Nasty people because they learned how to kill people slowly and painfully. This was their art. This was what they longed to do. And so, um, you know, when Jonah is called to go to Assyria, and I did talk about, well, I talked about Paul, maybe. I'm like, what did I talk about <laughs> a month ago? <laughs> um, um, yeah. Anyways, Jonah, when he's called to go to Nineveh, like, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And so, I'm going to talk about this probably on Friday, Lord willing. But, like, Jonah being called to go there, can you imagine? I even think about if, if God called me to, I'll just even say, like, I think right now, probably being a female like a Muslim nation would probably be like a, a, a very hard place for a female to go. And so I think about if God called me to a Muslim nation where he was like, okay, go, go preach the gospel. <laughs> like, um, really? <laughs> what could I do? <laughs> and so I get a sense that this is a little bit of how Jonah felt being called to go to Nineveh because how extreme they were in their actions of killing and how it was so devious. And, um, and so Assyria represented this extreme terror and fear. And so Jonah being called to go there, this story is so much more than just being in the belly of a fish for three days. And we'll talk about that later, but this is just part of the history that want to get our minds around, not just the book of Jonah, but because the Assyrians are a huge uh, threat for Israel right now, because Israel is still a nation. Judah is still a nation right now. And so when we think about what they are going through and what they're dealing with, I mean, it is these superpowers, these super nations who are constantly invading and are bringing terror and fear and death and destruction into these nations. And so to know that 
you're in constant um, fear of, well, are we going to be attacked today? Are, are we going to be able to eat today? Are we going to be able to provide for our children today? These were constant fears for them because these superpowers were so um, good at what they were doing. And as you know, Israel was a small nation. Like they weren't a superpower at that time. They weren't, they weren't at the height of their power anymore. And so when you are a small nation, you make alliances with other nations for your protection. We talked about this with uh, the different covenants that we went through, with the promissory covenant, uh, the parity covenant, and then uh, the, yep, it just left me, uh, Susan Tree covenant. Ha, yes, did you say that? Oh, I'm so proud of you. Um, okay, so we see this with the covenants that were being made, okay? Remember that? So this political instability is a fact of life for these generations and during this time. So this political instability is because you would have one king from one family and then they would think, oh, we're done with him, so we're going to kill him. And then this other family would rise up. Well, just think about the instability that would bring. I mean, you even think about when America gets a new president, you're like, okay, so what's going to change now? Like they get a new administration, they change the laws, they change things that, and it's just, it's how it works. Like that's how it's always been. A king or a president or whoever's in leadership, they always have to exert that power, that authority. And so they are constantly like, okay, let's, let's see what we can change. And so this political instability that was always present when a new king or a king would die and then a new one would come up or when a king got killed and a new one would come up. So because there was a lot of overtaking in that sort, in that ma manner. So God is telling the Israelites through Isaiah, but through the other prophets also, to not make alliances with these other nations. And we'll see this even in Isaiah where Israel's like, oh, I'm going to trust in Egypt. What did God tell them to do? Not to trust in Egypt to not go back there, to not get horses from them, to not get chariots from them. I mean, this was a part of the king's decree when he made that. And, and so now they're like, oh, let's trust in Egypt. They don't know their history. Come on, people. Okay. Um, <laughs> so to not make alliances, but to trust in the Lord. This was the whole point. They, God always wanted them to trust in him for, them, for him to be their king. For him to be their protector. For him to be their provider. So we need to learn from our history. Learn from what the Israelites didn't do so we can learn how to live. Bless you. So my question to you is do we really trust God? Or do we just say that we trust Him? Because it's one thing to say, God, I trust you with my whole life. And then He says, go and talk to that stranger. No, are you serious? You don't want me to talk to that person. Yeah. Something is, I mean, I say it's simple, but sometimes it's not simple to go and talk to a stranger. 
but something as simple as going and talking to a stranger? Are we going to trust the Lord that He is nudging us to do that? Because if we trust Him in that small thing and He sees you through it, then that grows our trust to trust Him and believe in Him more for bigger things. So when He says, hey, I want you to move from this location to this location, whether that be in the States, out of the States, wherever, can you trust Him that He is speaking that to you? Or are we going to align ourselves so closely with our friends, our family, our surroundings, our home, our comfort, that we miss out on something that the Lord has for us. This is a huge theme from this week, guys. Not just for this week, but for our lives. Because I'm going to say, honestly, it's really easy to say, yeah, I trust the Lord. But when the saying, the rubber meets the road, (laughs) it's sometimes really hard to trust the Lord. But I think there's a difference in, Lord, I'm scared to trust you, and you walk in it, rather than, God, I don't trust you, and I'm not going to do it. So I'm not saying we have to fully be like, God, I trust you completely, whatever you want to do. Because I can't stand up here and say that I'm there. So I can't tell you to be there. But I can say that we're hopefully all on this journey together of growing in our trust with Him more and more. And if there's areas that you don't trust Him, then be willing to have that conversation. Don't neglect it. Don't say, oh, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Because that's the deal where the enemy is going to try to come in and bring division. And so if there is an area where you don't trust the Lord, I pray that you would spend some time as soon as possible having that conversation with him about it. And hear what he has to say. Don't do all the talking. Because he already knows. But let's just sit with this for a second and then we'll take a break. Um, But be honest with yourselves and with the Lord. And if there's an area that you don't trust Him, maybe go down that route. And it might be longer than a two minutes that I'm going to give you now. But you can identify it at least and then go back to it later. But go down that route of, okay, God, why don't I trust you in this? What is there a thought? Is there a belief? 
Is there something that's standing in the way? Is there an experience that I've had that, is, that has stopped me from trusting you fully in this area? So having a conversation. And so, Lord, we come before you and we... I pray that you would help us in our walk of trusting you. And I know that you will because that is your character. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to be honest with ourselves, with you, and to open this dialogue. Of how to trust you more. Protect our hearts and our minds and our spirits from the enemy, from being able to bring in lies, condemnation, fear. But Lord, your peace and security would envelop us during this time as we have these conversations with you. Yeah. Let me pray all these things. Amen.